The Marching Roundtable is an official media partner of Drum Corps International. This podcast is sponsored by Blue House Mallets, found at bluha.us, B-L-U-E-H-A dot U-S. Blue House makes keyboard percussion mallets for students, educators, and performers. The primary performer collection is designed for years of reliable use in the ORF classroom. The Concert Master Collection is perfect for the developing percussionist. And the Contemporary Artist Collection is a set of premier mallets for a complete range of marimba and vibraphone performance. With models for the classroom to the concert hall, the recording studio to the marching field, Blue House builds exceptional tools for musicians to engage their creativity and express their passion. Build your sound in the finest custom mallet build shop on the web at bluha.us. BlueHA.us. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Marching Roundtable. This is Tim Hinton. Thank you so much for listening. I am live in Arcadia, California with one of the true celebrities at the event. Caleb Brophy, how are you, Caleb? I'm doing great. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> I mean, come on. You were like the keynote speaker to launch the whole thing. I, it was pretty exciting. I certainly don't view myself as a celebrity of the event, but uh, you're very kind to say so. <laughs> well, I think you definitely are. And I thought you did a wonderful job, by the way. Thank you. So, um, of course, people that... What, the people that weren't here missed a lot of it. So people that aren't here next time, you need to come to the symposium. But we are giving you a little snippet of what Caleb's topic was. You talked about building your tribe. And that's a really interesting sort of phrase. So you want to talk about, first off, just what a tribe is and why that, why that terminology? Yeah, I think um, a lot of us are familiar with building groups or building ensembles or a program or an organization or something like that. And I tried to kind of reframe it today as this concept of building a tribe. Uh, if you're going to build a tribe, there's just a couple of key ingredients you need. You need to have um, a shared vision or a shared interest or a shared passion. And your tribe needs some methodology to be able to communicate. And that's it. Those are those, those two things. Um, but what separates a group or just a regular old run-of-the-mill ensemble from a tribe is this sense of enthusiasm and shared vision um, and commitment to a cause that is beyond just the basis of the organization. Um, so when I'm encouraging people to build a tribe, it's to take a look at your program or your ensemble and build this enthusiasm, this following this connection to a shared sense of purpose and vision uh, that... Uh, ultimately brings everybody into the fold that much more tightly um, and really builds this amazing community where everybody's kind of rowing in the same direction. Yeah, I love that. One of the really good things about the internet, I mean, plenty, the internet has brought plenty of headaches to our world, but one of the great things is, as you described in your speech this morning, um, you can find other people that love the things you love, that have the same passion you have, and then that's really affirming. For me, if I find somebody else that's into something I'm into, and then we can talk about it, we can share that excitement, like, that's very exciting. It's great. It, it helps me feel better about me. It helps me express my passion. So I love this idea of the Internet. Uh, to us. And I think it's been a game changer. Uh, we, we talked a little bit in the speech earlier today about um, the Internet kind of breaking down some of those barriers. We've always had shared interests. We haven't necessarily always had an easy way to connect with people that had those shared interests. And the Internet yeah. has just made it uh, totally flat in that regard. Yeah, and one of the things you said that I wrote down with a little star next to it was it helps people find meaning and purpose. You mentioned those words already, but um, I just think it's really powerful. So there was a video you played of the dancing guy and, and how he led a group thing that happened. Do you want to just 
briefly speak about that? Because I think it will lead us into the rest of the conversation. Sure. Um, I, I was looking for a video clip to play in this. I've been to a number of uh, symposiums and talks and seminars, and I've seen a lot of people speak before. Uh, and one of the things that always helps uh, kind of pick it up in the middle is if you've got some sort of video that, you know, change of pace. Um, and so I found this great video clip. It's about leadership, and uh, it's really just a, a music festival. And there's this one, they call him, I think, the lone nut in the video. Uh, he's just there dancing with record abandon he's in the middle of this giant grass lawn and he's just having a field day but it's this one guy dancing all by himself and uh, so over the this lone nut this dancing guy um, there's this narration that's taking place over the top of it that's narrating how that lone guy is about to start a movement um, he's dancing then one other person comes and joins him and now it's not a lone nut They're, the lone nut has a follower um, and so now it's a party there's there's two to this and then that attracts a third person and um, it really kind of goes through the process of, you know, once that second person joins you, it's not about you anymore. It's about that second person. And when you honor and respect them coming to this and being a follower, when you uh, being a follower and when you honor them as the follower um, and kind of share the stage, so to speak, with them, it attracts others. And so you then just kind of reach this critical mass where you go from one to two to three to then five and eight and 12 and then 20. Um, the whole thing balloons. And by the, the whole video is three minutes long, but by the end of the three minutes there's probably i don't know a hundred people down there right. that are just having this massive mosh pit of energy and enthusiasm so i thought that was really instructive for this idea of that's how you build your tribe you put out this enthusiasm and you attract other people that have that shared interest and you can really start a movement by doing that so this was what i thought was the most interesting and powerful thing about this whole concept to me was if you really Here's my takeaway. You can correct me or make this sound more clear. If you love something and you want it to happen, what you really care about is that it can happen and that you have this love for it. Not necessarily that you're the one getting the credit, that you're the one in charge, whatever, but just I want this to happen. So I love that idea. And you said that when the original guy has the first follower that comes in and says, I like this too, I'm going to join in. The concept that you kept describing was treat them as an equal. Thank them. Let them be equal part. Don't say like, well, this is my party and you can dance next to me. But it was more like we're in this together now. Yay, let's celebrate together. I thought that was really powerful because I think that it's hard for leaders sometimes to get to that point where it's more about what you're trying to do than about you. I, absolutely. And and I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Uh, Seth Godin is the author of the books, Tribes, We Need You to Lead Us. Uh, and he talks a lot in his book about this co this concept and goes even deeper. Um, but he talks about this idea of true leaders um, want none of the credit for it. They are not motivated by the credit or being by the, the, the spearhead of the movement. They're motivated by the movement itself. They're motivated by uh, this concept of if it happens, if it takes hold, if it takes off, um, they're happy to have been a part of it, but happy for the movement to be happening, not for them to be the one that, that get the, gets the credit. And in that video, it talks about how important that first follower is because that's the person that takes the risk and says, all right, I'm going to follow this movement. And that first person may ultimately end up getting the credit. Uh, but if you're the leader of the movement, hopefully what you're looking for is not necessarily that credit. You're hoping for that idea and that vision to thrive um, and hoping to facilitate that. Yeah, I just love the idea of um, that, that actually that first follower is being incredibly brave. I think we're talking a lot about bravery this weekend and taking chances and putting yourself out there and going for it and digging in, as you, you know, has been said. So I love that idea. One of the next things you talked about is that 
it's, it's really about change. If you're passionate about something, there's something that's not working. There's something you want to see happen. You're wanting some change to have to happen. And as you mentioned, it has to be change that you believe in. I thought that was important. Uh, thank you for saying that. Yeah. I, uh, it's one of the things I believe in a lot. And I was, um, I was fortunate enough last year to be able to give a talk as well. And the, the concept of that talk was change, the change that we need in education. I'm an educator through and through. And so this is something I spend a lot of time thinking about. Um, and so I kind of wanted to build off of that theme from last year and kind of maybe take it to the next level this year with some of the talks and, and some of the concepts that we shared. So I think one thing that we all struggle with, specifically in, in the arts and in the marching arts, is um, many of us are already a part of a uh, tribe. It's not about establishing a new tribe that never existed. It's about looking at your tribe and figuring out what could be better, what could be optimized, what could change in essence, and then having the guts to try something new. Maybe it's successful, maybe it fails, but... Um, Within all of our tribes, we're really looking for somebody to lead those efforts going forward, and we're looking for somebody to lead some change and some uh, revolution and some reimagination of the way that we do things um, to truly make it an even better experience for everybody. Right, but change is super scary. Incredibly scary. <laughs> I mean, one, of, <laughs> one of the scariest things out there. Right. So, so again, we're talking about being brave, but like, all right, let's make this better. Let's figure out how to make it better. Then this, the next point, which I thought was also equally important, was it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to fail along the way. So here we are. We're talking about making a change. And then it's like you have to be willing to not get it right the first time. I feel like there's some things in our culture where people are very afraid of not getting it always right. But but nothing good ever happens if you don't Absolutely. try and mess up. Well, I, I think we play it safe a lot of the time because that's a comfortable place to be. Um, I know we certainly do that in the arts. We do that with performance um, and, and specifically in the marching arts a lot. We, we talk a lot about trying to be very successful at a performance, uh, successful at a competition, so to speak. And the name of the game is usually to make as few errors as possible. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I'm still anti-errors. I'd like to, <laughs> you know, I'd like things to be as polished and pristine as possible. Um, but I think true successes are about taking that risk and trying something new and venturing out a little bit. And I'm not saying venturing out and doing something so radical that nobody's ever thought of that before, but within your own tribe, what's new for your tribe? What's a, what's a risk that you're willing to take? take? That's the only place that we truly see growth. Um, my day job is as a, as a classroom teacher, um, and I spent a lot of years teaching math. And this was one of the hardest things in my math class was... Um, getting students over this idea of failure. You know, when you're learning any new discipline and math is this way for a lot of students, um, there's a lot of failure that comes with the acquisition of new skills. And some people are so petrified about failing at first and not getting something right and getting the wrong answer or getting a step incorrect that it becomes almost paralyzing. And so I've spent a lot of years uh, and a lot of time talking with students and, and other colleagues and other teachers about trying to... Um, tear down this idea of the, this um, focus that we have a lot of the time on success and being successful right at the beginning and making it a little bit easier for people to fail and to try and to uh, risk and take brave risks as they do it because that's the way that we grow. Mm. That's the way that we branch out. And ultimately, that's the way we become more successful. Yeah, I got to tell you, I'm loving talking to you right now, Caleb. And the thing that I love about being at a symposium like this is you get to rub elbows, talk to, shake hands with, have conversations with people that have these great ideas, that are taking chances, that are sharing passionate, fun, exciting ideas. Like, I'm really having a good time being here. Um, so a couple things about this that I want to mention and ask you about. 
when you're deciding to make those changes, I think there's something also about learning, being getting enough experience and learning enough that you know which is the right change for my group right now. <laughs> like we have these changes, but how do you decide what's the right next change? Yeah, and I, I don't know that I have a perfect answer for this because I can't speak to everybody's group or what the right changes would be or, or where everybody is in their you know, career arc or their trajectory to figure that out. Um, all I know from my personal experience is um, when you have a good idea, don't sit and wait on it, try it. And when you try it and it goes well, put that in your bank, so to speak, of I know this works, I know this approach works, or I, this made things better. Um, and also when you have an idea and you try it and it fails disaster, that's <laughs> as instructive as a successful first step. Right. You can also put that in the bank and go, okay, well, I know this didn't work. Um, so specifically, you know, what things should you try? What's appropriate for your band or for your group? I don't know. I don't have the foggiest idea what those <laughs> things would be. Um, I just know that most of us that are educators and charged with standing up in front of other people and, and guiding a group um, have an innate sense of something that could be different or could be better or we would like to try something. And the biggest, most important part of that is being willing to take that first step and go, I'm going to give this a shot and see how it goes. Yeah, that's really smart. And the other thing, too, is to have mentors and friends who you trust who you can say i'm thinking about doing this <laughs> I, <laughs> or have you ever tried this and maybe they will warn you off a little yeah, bit and you're so right and that's why uh events like this are so powerful because you get to interface with all these other people that you probably don't come into contact with on a regular yeah. basis yeah. um and you get to build that network and um then bounce those ideas off of other people and uh share as much as possible and and like you said pick up some mentors and learn from them both their past successes and their past failures because yeah. I think we've all had a bunch of both. Right, right, right. And and we need those connections. We need people that we can we can talk to and say, I'm having this problem, you know, and it maybe it's somebody that's across the country that you met at a symposium, who knows? The other thing I want to just go back to and mention again, we talked about taking chances, getting an idea, trying something, not playing it so safe. Um, I just I just finished a course at marchingartseducation.com with Scott Chandler, and he talks a whole lot about taking an idea and then making it your own, figuring out how can I – I don't want to copy somebody that's doing something I think is cool. How can I take that and make it my own version of it for my own group and my own situation? I just want to highlight that because I think one of the things that's frustrating to me about our marching arts activity is that so many groups seem to play it safe, and it's like we're all doing the same Winter Guard ballad, or we're all doing the same show format with our marching band or whatever. And I'm like, we all want to be competitive, but there's so much more to it than just trying to win. It can be a, we really also want to have a great time and try things with our students. I Listen, one of the least successful band shows, marching band shows I ever had as a director was everybody's favorite year going back because we had this great experience of trying this thing and experimenting. I mean, Caleb did a whole show of Rite of Spring, which was insane. It was, it was so <laughs> ridiculous that like we loved it. I, I look back on that year really fondly. So I, I don't know what I'm asking you to say about this, except don't be like everybody else. Figure out how to put your own spin. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, um, look, that the activity is instructive in and of itself, and I would encourage everybody, whether you're a seasoned veteran or an aspiring up-and-coming uh, educator or designer, uh, be a student of the activity. Study everything else. Watch everybody else's show. Watch everybody else's rehearsal techniques and performance techniques. Absorb it, because that's how we learn. There is no manual that teaches you how to do all of this. We are a 
uh, a tribal mentality. I mean, to go mm. back to our theme from all of this, where mm. you, it's tribal knowledge, you get in there by experiencing it and seeing everything else. Um, but once you've done that, I, I think it's really important to take a step back and realize that you are not the same as all the other designers or the educators out there. And the other thing that is even wildly more different is your students and your ensemble are unlike any other one that's ever existed, even year to year. Um, so one of the most important things we can do is to think about our own program or ensemble's identity. Think about our students. And I think when Scott talks about putting your own spin on things, your own spin on things should be custom tailored to the um, composition of the group that you're working with. Who yeah. are my students? Yeah. What makes them tick? What motivates them? What can I tap into that will make this special and unique? Um, so that even if you're doing show A and you're going to perform it with ensemble one and ensemble two, those two should feel very different from each other, even if all the content is the same because the groups that bring it to life are so different. Uh, and so that would be my advice and my recommendation for putting your own spin on things are think about how that idea works for you and your language and your vocabulary and your creativity and think about how that works for your students and what motivates them and what they're going to be able to bring to life and make unique because our activity is all about identity it always has been and those that recognize that as quickly as possible and as early as possible are usually the ones that end up doing phenomenal things and changing the activity yeah that's great great advice i love that just a couple more points from your talk this morning that I thought was really helpful. You talked about wearing, being brave enough to wear your passion on your sleeve, tell stories. Like I love that idea. Can you talk about that? Because I, again, I want you know just free yourself to let your freak flag fly. I believe that was said somewhere today in something. But you know, like wear your passion on your sleeve. I love that. Um, so when I my first teaching experience was uh, teaching uh, basically a marching band and an indoor percussion ensemble. This is before I went to credentialing school and earned my teaching credential. This is before I, I formalized anything in terms of classroom instruction. Um, and I did not know very much back then. There's a, there's a lot that I did not know. Um, what seemed to work for me, though, was creating a relationship with my students. Um, and that relationship is established by you being who you are. And so I think each one of us is, uh, will ultimately be the most successful we possibly can be when we get to know the students that we're teaching. Um, and when we share our passion and our enthusiasm for whatever it is that we do and show that on our sleeve. So I always try to make a big point about that with my students of showing them why I was so deeply invested in whatever we were doing. Or, um, you know, if we're about to rehearse something and, uh, we're moving beyond just the technical details and we're trying to make sure that the music is going to make a connection with the audience, uh, I would try to, as eloquently as possible, articulate what I want it to feel like, where I want them to go as musicians, where I want them to take the audience as musicians. Uh, that always seemed to be so, so, so powerful because it was authentic and it was genuine and it was me through and through and they connected and resonated to that. Um, I get a lot of people that ask me frequently, how do you engage students? Or I've got a really tough ensemble this year and I'm having a hard time uh, just getting them to be motivated for me. And I always start with, you know, tell them a story. How did you get here? Why are you here? Why is this mm. what you put your time and your mm. energy into? Uh, people respond to that. People respond to stories of passion and enthusiasm. They can identify with that. And it really does help to break down a whole lot of barriers. So uh, whatever it is that yeah. motivates you, the more the people that you work with understand those motivations and understand who you are, I think the more successful you can be. That's fantastic. They will follow your passion. It's so contagious. 
Absolutely. It's, it's amazingly contagious. I love that. That's great advice. Okay, a couple more points. Um, good leaders, as they're trying to build their tribe, listen. They're being, be, you said, be willing to listen, and they people want to be heard. I loved that idea. Yeah, I think that's where I, I've been fortunate to be in a number of different leadership positions over the course of my career. Uh, and I think as a student of leadership and somebody that, that pays a lot of attention to about it and looks at different leadership styles, I think this is where some leaders come up short is they start to think that leadership is about them uh, standing on the bow of the ship, pointing the direction necessarily, um, without taking the temperature and the pulse of the people that are a part of their tribe. So uh, great leaders are ones the, that are constantly checking in and listening earnestly, authentically uh, to members of their tribe. And that we as uh, participants in activities and as members, we don't always need the leader to take our input and use that as their decision. We want that to just be one of the factors. We want to understand that they have heard what we've said and what we have to say and that they've taken that into consideration. Uh, and so leadership is about, yes, charting that path and uh, being brave and taking risks and all those other things that we've talked about. Uh, but it is at its core also listening to your tribe, listening to your colleagues, listening to your students, having that two-way conversation uh, so that you're familiar with where they stand. Yeah, that's great. I, I had a wonderful principal, Dr. Jenny Springer, when I was teaching, and she taught me a lot of really valuable things. But one of the things she told me was that when a really, really upset parent comes to see her as the principal, she said, they just want to be heard. She just sits down and she lets them say their piece. And then even if things don't end up going the way they want, they just wanted to get that out and be heard. And I, I loved that you mentioned that today, that people just want to be heard, because I think, um, Having the ability to stop and sit and listen to someone and have a conversation and really listen and not think about what you're about to say, that's, that's a great talent. But like that, that's so powerful for a leader to have that skill. No doubt. No doubt. That's a game changer. So we already talked about not the last thing you mentioned this morning, which I thought I wrote down with little stars next to it because that was so great. We've already mentioned about not worrying about who gets credit. If the real leader just wants it to happen, not necessarily take credit. So we don't necessarily talk about that again. I thought that was really, really valuable. But I loved that you summed all of this up in the phrase, your vibe attracts your tribe. <laughs> like, that is the best slogan ever. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. And it's not mine. Most of the stuff is not new. I, I pulled it from a bunch of different sources. So I'm, I'm not the creator of these things. But uh, that was one of the lines that, that has really stood out to me, mostly because it's got the, the rhyme built into sure. it. But yeah. um, I, I found so much wisdom and truth in that. Like, how can we sum up what we talked about today in terms of, leadership and passion and vision and taking no credit. Um, I think it all kind of boils down to whatever vibe you're putting out into the world, whatever your energy is, whatever, um, uh, however you represent yourself to people, that becomes your tribe. That's who is attracted to you and attracted to wherever you're going. So, so much of this starts with you figuring out who your people are, who's your tribe, what shared interest do you have with other people, and then figuring out what is your vision for this? How would you want things to change? How would you want things to progress? How would you want things to evolve and move? Uh, and then can I make sure that I'm putting that out there so that it's attracting like-minded people that want to go the same direction that I want to go? I love it. You know, there, is there anything more wonderful in the world than finding somebody that you really like and you're like, man, that vibe I'm getting from this person is so cool. And then you find their group that they are designing for or teaching and they take on that vibe. Cause I always say bands take on the 
the vibe and the personality of the director. And like, that's so attractive. You know, it's all about just sort of like being authentic and putting your vibe out there, like giving yourself permission. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I love about our, our shared activities so much is we see those personalities come through in the performances. Yeah. Um, you see them come through in the design aesthetic. You see them come through in the performance qualities of the students that our educators are charged with leading. Um, and so I just think that that's so infectious and so wonderful. It's why I love events like this, when you can hear everybody's passion right. and hear them uh, speak unbridled about whatever it is that, that lights them on fire. Uh, and that's why I love events where we can see all these groups come together and perform for one another. Right. Um, yeah, with the, the trappings of a competition, but uh, really it's just this meeting of the minds and this display of all this amazing creative and performance energy uh, that you know hours and hours and hours have been poured into obsessing over details. And then you see all of that come through yeah. uh, through the eyes of those performances. I mean, that's why we love what we do in the marching arts, right? It's like there's, there's, your, there's your personality on this giant stage. Everybody loves it. They want to be a part of it. This is fun. It's yeah. fun to be a part of this activity. Absolutely. Well, it's for me, it is my tribe. And I mentioned it in the talk earlier this morning. Yeah. I found it a long time ago. I stumbled into it. It wasn't intentional. Um, but man, once I'm here, I'm not letting go of this. It's, it's part of who I am. Uh, it's part of who I will always be, no matter what I do, no matter what other pursuits or professional um, you know, avenues I go down. Uh, the marching arts activity in general is, is my tribe. And so I couldn't love it more and couldn't be more honored to participate in this well. event. You, your speech this morning was great, and I'm glad you're in our tribe, Caleb, because you're you're bringing good things to our tribe, and just we can hear from talking to you um, the impact that you're having. So thanks for all the work you're doing for our tribe in the world of marching arts, and um, thanks for taking time to talk to me. I know you're in the middle of a busy symposium, so thanks for stopping to, to share this. Absolutely, Tim. It's an honor. I appreciate it. You're great. Thank you. Watch for an entire series of podcasts recorded live here at the Arcadia Music and Arts Symposium. Some will be released this weekend while the event's going on, and then many more all throughout the summer. This is Tim Hinton from the Marching Roundtable. I'm so appreciative they asked me to be here to do these interviews, talk to these great educators, designers, instructors, really movers and shakers in our activity. Of course, this is just a snippet of the great information, so I encourage you to consider trying to be here live in the future. You can interact, make connections. It's a great environment. Go to ArcadiaSymposium.com to find out more. And watch for these podcasts all throughout the summer.